you know, sometimes I refer to editors as ninjas. They're, they're the ones doing all this amazing stuff, and yet you really just have no concept of yeah. their presence. And that's, yeah. that's okay with us. My name is Wes Gibbons, and welcome back to the Tungsten Originals podcast. You just heard part of my conversation with editor Alex Newton. We discussed his journey into professional editing, the most daunting projects he's worked on, and what he's learned along the way. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy. Episode 37 of the Tungsten Originals podcast. Professor Newton, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with me. How is your weekend going? It's going great. Uh, thank you for having me, Wes. Yeah, of course. You were uh, doing a bunch of copying, you said earlier. Copying files. Yes. Lots of files. Super exciting terabytes worth of files. Really? Oh, gosh. Right. At first, whenever you first told me that, I thought you meant like paper files. And then I remembered, oh, wait, you're an editor. <laughs> right. No paper. <laughs> yeah, exactly. How long does it take to copy terabytes of files? Uh, long enough to watch entire seasons <laughs> right. worth of Netflix shows. Nice. And for this episode, I do want to exclusively talk about file transferring. Great. Because I feel that's, you know, just an unappreciated part we should of the We should transfer some files while we talk about exactly, it. Exactly. <laughs> just watch the progress bar just load the whole time. Um, you are an, an editing professor here at SCAD, which we were just talking about off microphone. But before we talk about your career, I want to talk about how you got started into editing at all and what your you know childhood was like. So where are you from and where did this career begin for you? I grew up in the middle of nowhere in Pennsylvania. Oh, okay. Farmland. Um, nice. Kind of near Hershey. Okay. Gotcha. Which I have a friend knows. from Hershey. Okay, great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, chocolate, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, beautiful farmland. Yeah. And dairy. As far as the eye can see. As Exactly. <laughs> and, you know, as a kid, fantastic place to grow up. Uh, as a teenager, you can't wait to, to leave. <laughs> Absolutely. Sort of thing, but you appreciate it in retrospect. Um, in terms of the whole art thing wasn't really on my mind, although I will say that art was in the family. Okay. Were, were your parents like in an art career? Not not in the least. Okay. Um, but art was appreciated at right. home. Yeah. Um, and we all could demonstrate it for, you know, in various ways. Mm -hmm. uh, we can all sing. Okay. Wow. One of my brothers could play the piano. My sister mm -hmm. plays the piano. My sister's an artist okay. in her own right. And uh, my mother played the guitar, played the drums, and actually taught me to play the drums. Oh, wow. Okay. When I was about seven or eight years mm -hmm. old. Was that just, did they encourage y'all to do that just because, like, we enjoy it? Or was there a little bit of, like, we want you to be a musician someday? No, it was just kind of another piece of yeah. daily life. Not really something that was on my mind as right. a pursuit. Enjoyed it, but never mm -hmm. really thought about it right. beyond that. So, so it was there. Yeah. It yeah. was there. Was whenever you were going growing up in middle school and high school, what was on your future, you know, vision of like this is what I want to do as a career? Was there anything where you just kind of going with the flow? I wasn't thinking about it <laughs> at all, and uh, maybe I shouldn't admit that. <laughs> well, it all worked out. <laughs> I think, yeah, right. Uh, yeah, I, I'm sure I thought a lot about it my senior year of high school. Right. Yeah. In retrospect, though, I'll tell you a story. When I was really little. Um, 
you know, when you look back, you can see signs of, of things to come, but in the moment you don't recognize them. Uh, one of the things that I, I loved movies, I used to watch movies all the time, but one unusual thing that I would do was record movies onto audio cassettes and Whoa. listen to them. Wow. And my dad, <laughs> who was kind of a jack of all trades, my, my dad, you know, I would help him fix cars and we built a deck together, that yeah. kind of thing. He showed me how to hook up our audio cassette recorder mm -hmm. to the television uh, through an auxiliary cable. And in retrospect, it's like, okay, th there's some of the tech stuff. Yeah, totally. And I would record tapes mm -hmm. of films. And it was, you know, whatever pop culture stuff I was watching, right. Star Wars or Ghostbusters or yeah. whatever. <laughs> and at the time, it was really out of necessity because there was no internet. You know, that's, yeah. that's how old I am. <laughs> <laughs> and you, I really loved the movies and I wanted to experience them. Maybe I just wanted the score right? or I wanted to listen to the dialogue. And so I would record them uh, so I could listen to them whenever I wanted. Mm -hmm. And I would also essentially make mashups where I would take one line from, say, Star Wars yeah. and have the response come from Ghostbusters <laughs> or something like that. Right. And and so I guess I was like, I knew the movies too well because <laughs> I was like, I bet if I took this line and took that line and put them together, it'd be funny. And Yeah, okay, that's what I was going to ask. Was it just trying to be funny? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. And I was cracking myself up, right? <laughs> right. Like nobody, like there was no audience except me. Right. You weren't um, like showing it to people? No, I, okay. I, I don't, I mean, maybe... Yeah. Some of my friends heard it. Um, they were like, that's really weird. Why are you doing yeah, that? Yeah, what, what are you doing? Because, uh, I mean, I would spend hours yeah. doing that. I mean, yeah. I, I would lose track of time and <laughs> and loved it and never thought, okay, this is a sign that, I mean, how, 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 can you how could that possibly be a career, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was just messing around. Right. But, but in retrospect, that's the first stuff I ever edited, essentially. Yeah. And it was fun. Yeah. And so if if editing equals fun, well... Maybe that's it, right? Yeah, but, exactly. I mean, that took 20 years totally. to, to realize that. Yeah, exactly. Or more. Yeah. yeah. So were you just like not concerned with recording the visuals? Well, I mean, I would also watch the movies too. Right. But in a way, I guess it was like in my head, I already knew the movies and I knew what they looked like, right? And so listening to it was this whole other, yeah. I mean, it's kind of like listening to an old um, radio play or something yeah. like that, right? Some, some of the films work just in the audio. Totally. And, and so in that regard, it's like, I guess, in a way, appreciating what sound contributes mm -hmm. to the experience of, right. of making a film. I think some people think as an editor, well, all I have to do is worry about the picture and somebody else will handle the totally. sound. Yeah. And to me, that kind of freaks me out. Yeah. It's like if you're not thinking about the sound, you're not taking advantage of how the sound can influence your cutting. Absolutely. So you graduate high school, and what do you start pursuing? Right. So I have to find something, right? Because yeah. everybody else, and this is this is 18-year-old Alex's <laughs> mind here. Um, I have to find something because everybody else seems to have picked something. Yeah. So I picked anthropology. Oh, okay. Right, exactly. <laughs> I think that's what everybody else's reaction was. <laughs> right. Uh, even mine. And yeah. uh, I mean, it didn't come out of nowhere. I, I always loved history. I still mm -hmm. do. I'm more likely to watch a documentary about some historical event than right. I am anything else yeah. to this day. But, and I've, I've always been interested in archaeology. So it wasn't out of nowhere. But yeah. in a way, it was... Uh, like, I just needed to have something. Totally, yeah. Because it felt too strange to not have a goal. So yeah. 
I went to American University mm-hmm. in D.C., and that's more of a business slash politics school. I mean, that's not surprising. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, you know, they had a good liberal arts mm-hmm. program and, and uh, took my first anthropology class. And I think pretty much after the very first class, I knew that this was absolutely not for me. <laughs> yeah. Was that like a scary realization? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, because, you know, I'm thinking, okay, there's a whole lot of money going into this. Yeah, totally. And lots riding on this. Mm-hmm. And I'm about to say no. Yeah. And saying no means I've got to figure out what's mm-hmm. next and I have no idea. Yeah. And so after that, I was undecided. And when you're undecided, you have to declare that. <laughs> that's, that's true. You have to say. That's true. You're, hey, I'm, everyone, I'm, I don't know. <laughs> everybody, I, and it, you kind of feel like it's stamped on your head right. when you're walking around campus. You see everybody seems to have a direction, and I'm the one who's kind of wandering. Yeah. And at first it's very scary, but after a while it was very freeing. Yeah. Because it meant it's okay. You know, for me it was okay not to know. And what that means I is I get to explore mm-hmm. all different kinds of possibilities. So in that year, it was probably about a year of being undecided, I took a, well, I took several uh, cinema appreciation classes, mm-hmm. initially just because I thought, well, I like movies, Yeah, this will be fun. And, I, and to be honest, I was probably being a little lazy <laughs> right. with the choice, but yeah. as it turned out, the, the classes kind of blew my mind. Mm-hmm. I got to see a lot of films that I had never heard of, international films, old films. And my teachers were fantastic. They yeah. were very infectious. Uh, they loved what they were teaching, mm-hmm. and, and it was uh, infectious for us. And started to fall in love with the process, which, again, had started with sort of pop culture, 80s movies as a kid, right. but now started to expand. Yeah. So were any of those classes about actual production? Not yet. Okay. Not yet. All just sort of film theory or right. c- cinema studies. Cinema studies, yeah. But I also took some creative writing classes and was really given freedom to write whatever I wanted, but I seemed to keep gravitating towards scripts for whatever reason. Yeah. And I also was taking a analog photography class. You were basically studying like filmmaking, but in like fractured <laughs> versions Absolutely. Of it. Wow. I mean, it was as if somebody was orchestrating this for me, and, <laughs> and, or I don't know. Yeah. Um, because photography, I mean, it was it was everything from, you know, learning how to operate the camera, shutter speed and mm. aperture and all that, and picking the right film stock, composition, learning how to print and develop mm-hmm. in the dark room. Yeah. And I loved that process, yeah. just the hands-on nature of it. And in a way, that's the editing process as well, yeah, just totally. all, all the steps. And, yeah appreciating composition and shot mm-hmm. design and everything. So, yeah, it was everything was happening without me even realizing it. <laughs> of course. Um, and and uh, thankfully, I put it together, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, just like we are here. And, and yeah, uh, oh, this is cool. I like I like film. And mm-hmm. the school did have a communications program with, with um, you know, f- a few film classes. Mm-hmm. And uh, I basically felt like by the time I graduated, I had just kind of dipped my toe in the water. Yeah. Was grateful to have discovered it, but also felt like I was really just at the beginning stages mm. of it and that there was a whole lot more that I had to experience. Yeah. Basically, I, I'd kind of come late to the game. Right. But in retrospect, you know, I think a lot of people think undergrad in particular, there's a lot of pressure, self-imposed pressure and sometimes pressure from outside to have it all figured out and to just be achieving from the word go. And for me, undergrad was discovering who I am 
and discovering yeah. how to be an adult and where things need to go. And I actually think that that's what undergrad is really for. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you know what you want to do from freshman year, fantastic. But if you don't, hey, that's what's that to me, that's what school is for is to kind of discover what you do like, but also maybe what you don't like, what, what you don't like. Yeah. Is, I think that's of equal importance. Is Yeah, just yeah. as important. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I think like I've said this so many times on the podcast, but the question of what do you want to do for the rest of your life is such a big question to ask an 18 year old. <laughs> yeah. Because you don't understand anything. You know, I look back when I was 18 and I thought I knew what I was talking about, but I totally did not. Right. And I look back to like last week, I thought I knew what I was talking about and I still did Right, right. So um, immediately after, did you decide grad school is the next step or did you like take some time off? It, it took a year. Okay. Um, the good thing was that year also, I mean, this is the thing you, you kind of think if you're not moving forward, you're kind of spinning, spinning your wheels, but um, mm -hmm. but there's always something good. And for that year, I actually had a full-time job at the university in the editing lab. Oh, wow. Okay. So I kind of skipped over the part where I taught myself right. Final Cut Pro. And it was just out of necessity. It's like yeah. I, I fell into the film thing. I wanted yeah. to learn it, and I kind of taught it to myself. Mm -hmm. As well as, you know, being in the lab, other people would kind of pitch in here and there and show me how to do things. How early in, like, the Final Cut Pro versions is this? Um, like, had it just come out? I feel like it had been around, this is like 2002-ish. Okay, yeah. So it's early, but it had right. been established. Yeah, yeah, Premiere was around, but not what it is now. Yeah. And they had, the school had like two Avids. And oh. this, this was back when Avid was hardware and not just software application. Huh, okay. And so it was even more exclusive yeah, than, it, yeah. than it feels now. Um, like the grad students were allowed to use it and mm -hmm. nobody else. So yeah. I knew we had it, but I didn't touch it. So Final Cut was what I used mm -hmm. and, I, and I got pretty good at it. Good enough that they hired me full time to be an assistant in the lab. Yeah. So and are that, you editing like promo materials for the school? Um, no, I, I was. This was just like personal stuff I was doing. Okay. But I was there to assist students that were coming in. Gotcha. And right. working on stuff. Yeah. And just helping them with basics or troubleshooting yeah. or my hard drive isn't working. Or <laughs> that kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Which was good for me because it helped me get better at Final totally. Cut. And I, I tell this to students that I have now. One way to get better is to help other people. Yeah, absolutely. Because you start to realize and reinforce things that you know, but you also get to see all the wonderful ways to break things. <laughs> there are an infinite number of ways to screw things up. Absolutely. And then you know how to fix yeah, that the totally. next time, right? Yeah. And, and you accumulate that over time. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can fix things now in Avid that I absolutely would not have been able to fix three years ago. Yeah. Just yeah. because I see new ways to break stuff all the time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so that's what I was doing in Final Cut. Yeah. And I enjoyed it. I mean, in a way, that was probably my first experience doing what I do now. Mm -hmm. uh, I was not a teacher, but I was right. helping. Yeah, exactly. It was in that time, I was like, okay, this is cool, but I need to start moving forward. Right. And that's when I thought film school is the best way to do it because, mm -hmm. one, I still have more to learn, and two... I felt like I needed to put myself in a position to meet the people that I wanted to work with. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I needed a network. I needed collaborators, which I didn't really have time to build at American yeah. before finishing. So that's when I thought film school was next.
when you're thinking about film school is like is your huge overarching goal like i want to edit features or just i want to edit movies in general i wasn't initially thinking that editing was going to be my sole focus okay i also was writing and i was interested in directing and when i went in i wasn't thinking about a specific position i was thinking more that i wanted to meet like-minded people that I could work with and together form the opportunity to make new projects. Right. And I guess in a way it was basically, I was thinking about independent, the independent uh, approach. I wasn't necessarily thinking studio or Hollywood mm. or anything like that. And aside from that, I wasn't really thinking about a specific position. Okay, gotcha. So it was kind of open-ended. Yeah, yeah. So then you end up here at SCAD and you attend the grad program here. Was it, is your, like how did, I don't even really know how the, obviously I'm not a grad student, but I don't know how the grad like departments work. Were you just taking basically what I'm taking right now, film and television production, but for like the grad level? Yeah, more or less. I mean, okay. there's, there's a lot of similarities. There are some differences. Yeah. There, are, there are different expectations. Right. One of the big differences I think for grad is going to be that people are going to be coming in with varying levels of experience. Yeah. And, you know, I came in with minimal experience mm -hmm. from my previous school, but there would be other students that were coming in who had different skill sets but hadn't learned production yet. Right, yeah. And we're all coming in together. So mm -hmm. there were certain, I guess, prerequisites that we all had to take yeah. or that some of us could opt out of if, if we had more experience. Yeah, totally. So were you just blown away by being in a place where everyone wanted to pursue film? Was that like a super refreshing experience? Absolutely. My first class that um, I'll never forget was um, Intro to Film. And we actually had it with uh, Bear. Oh, yeah. Professor Brown. Yeah. And he was fantastic. And um, a lot of people that I worked with over school and that are actually some of my best friends to mm -hmm. this day happened to be in that class. Yeah. And it was palpable when you started to see the projects and who was working with whom. Um, you could see the talent. And we were shooting Bolex, you know, 16 millimeter black and white and literally editing film on the old Steenbeck analog. Um, reel to reel editing. Yeah, yeah, yeah basically. Which was incredibly intimidating, yeah, but exciting in the same mm. in, at the same time. As crude as they were, just because it kind of felt like there were all these layers between you and what you were trying to do in terms of the technology. Um, it's a lot easier now mm -hmm. to get the look or the feel of what you're trying to do across digitally, but with the analog process, it's a lot trickier. But even with that, you could still see talent. You could still see right. vision and energy, just a lot of energy. Yeah, totally. Um, the passion and, of it. Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. And and from that class, friendships formed. And, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, I gave like the best man speech at, you know, a kid that I met in that class. You right. know, like it's it was a great time. Yeah. It was exactly what I was looking for right. in terms of finding people to work with. Right. So I heard from uh, my friend Lee White, who was one of your TAs, helped you out. He's a great editor. He's been on the podcast a couple times. Um, he said that you did editorial work at the New York Times. Right. Was that post-grad school? Yes. Okay. Um, I heard you had some crazy deadlines when you were working there. Yeah. Um, 
don't know if you want to go through that or not, but when I when I uh, finished grad school, New York was was pretty much my focus, mostly mm-hmm. because a lot of the people that I liked working with ended up going to New York. Okay, yeah. And that was primarily what I was like, I want to make stuff. And totally. if that's where everybody's going, then that's where I want to be, mm-hmm. which is maybe a little naive, but <laughs> but um, but that's what I was thinking. And I got a, a job offer while I was actually still in Savannah. And it was through, again, a friend mm-hmm. that I met here at school who was a PA on a indie film and happened to be talking to the producer during a break. And she mentioned that they needed somebody in post. Mm-hmm. A friend of hers needed uh, somebody in post for this new company. And he said, I, I know just the person. Mm-hmm. And phoned me and connected me to this person and she in turn connected me to this company and it turned out to be one of the biggest independent distributors of uh independent content in uh you know in that world and and uh basically i got the job before i moved to new york which i discovered later was pretty unusual most most yeah. time most times you like move to the city right, and yeah. sleep on somebody's couch exactly and, you know you yeah gotta, that's a luxury <laughs> right show so, up and be employed so i got that and well, yeah. and, and moved up there um yeah. So my, my day job was kind of that stuff. But on the side, trying to get back to your question, uh, I would freelance edit. Distribution stuff I did was post-related, but it was really like finishing, like helping filmmakers get the assets in and, and okay. get them ready for streaming online. Right. I wanted to keep the editing thing alive. Mm-hmm. So I would get freelance gigs, and sometimes they were kind of one-offs, and then sometimes they were like uh, repeat jobs. And so the New York Times... I got through a friend. I mean, almost every job I've ever gotten yeah. has been through a referral, mm-hmm. not a blind submission. The experience working for the Times, you, I would have my day job mm-hmm. and uh, doing independent distribution stuff. I'd finish up at, say, 6 o'clock, get on the subway and head to the New York Times building. And I'd be there from, say, 7 o'clock until 2 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> right. And And I would do that. You know, almost every other day yeah. or so, um, off and on. Yeah, and uh, I don't know that I could do it now, but at the time, it <laughs> right. was it was great because yeah. it was it was keeping me busy, and mm. and I was you know I was up for it. But when you walk in, you don't know what you're walking into that night. Sometimes it would just be like, okay, someone else cut this, and we need you to color grade it. And so I've never seen it before, yeah. and it's got to be done in a couple hours. Okay, cool, mm-hmm. and. I'm not even looking at it for like, well, how would I edit it yeah, or whatever. Totally. It's considered done, so right. I'm just kind of picking up where somebody else left off. Um, other times, it would be like, okay, here's a bunch of stuff, and we need this cut, and we need it tomorrow, and, you know, that kind of thing. So yeah. there was, there's always one that I kind of think of. Um, it was, it must have been October, because I think in October there's a fashion week in New York. And it's a huge event, and, you know, everybody from all over the world comes yeah. in and, and, you know, does their thing. I wasn't even really paying attention to that, but I became very aware of it because I, wa- I walked into the New York Times uh, one night and they said, okay, so next week is Fashion Week and we've done five different kind of featurettes on five different designers, one for each day of the week. And we need somebody to create kind of an intro for it. So here's the project, it was Final Cut 7. And the project was just all the footage from all five shoots and all the interviews and all the b-roll yeah and no nobody's touched it in, 
nobody's touched it in the sense of nobody's like made decisions like we should use this or we should use that. Yeah. Anything's up for grabs. Yeah. And we need something by tomorrow morning, (laughs) but you have to get it done by 11 because the editor in chief needs to see it to approve it so it can go live in the morning. Oh, man. Good luck (laughs) and have a good night. And they leave. By the way, how was work today? <laughs> yeah, right, right. And you know, so there, there you are, right? Yeah, seriously. And you know, and I and I try to, um, I tell this story to students a lot, mm-hmm. and I I give them a, a, an assignment like this in my aesthetics class mm-hmm. to kind of put them in this position because, you know, people are used to having some um, level of involvement throughout the whole process. Yeah. But in the freelance world, especially, you're, you're kind of just thrown in there and mm-hmm. sometimes and you have to kind of find your way through it. Yeah, so totally. I came up with a way of getting through that. Um, the first thing I did was uh, give myself parameters. Hmm. Like, for example, I said, all right, this has got to be an intro. So to keep this simple, I decided that every one of these interviews, everybody only gets to say one thing in the timeline. And by doing that, it really forced me to go looking for that right. really cool quote, which cut down on the time it took. Because you could just spend days yeah, of course. sifting through that stuff. Yeah. But when you do that, it really gives you something to hunt for. And I kind of did the same thing with B-roll. B-roll, you can get lost in the B-roll. Yeah, totally. Like one thing that you can do, of course, is like, okay, that dolly move isn't so good or that focus pull didn't work. That gets rid of some stuff. But then it's sort of like being really picky, like, okay, that's the best shot. All this other stuff is garbage. Yeah. And it might not actually be garbage. Yeah. But in that moment, it's garbage. (laughs) It sucks. Because I don't have time to a lot of back and forth. Well, maybe this one or maybe that. It's like, no, you just have to choose. Choose the best Mm -hmm. in that moment. And so I got the whole thing put together pretty quickly. And that gave me time to refine it. Mm -hmm. Because you got to get it together as soon as you can to give yourself enough time to refine, right. refine, refine, so that by the time it's 11 and I got to send it to this guy, it's not like I just barely got to my cut. Right. I've got to the cut and then some. Mm-hmm. And I had to upload it, and he was at a, I don't know where he was, but I had a cell phone. But wherever he was, it was loud. <laughs> okay. And I could hear music and yeah. the clinking of glasses. Right. And, you know, you get the idea. Yeah, and of course. And he's like, okay, cool, I'll get back to you in a second. And he watched it, and I got a couple notes about making sure that I featured certain artists' designs. Like, they like make sure you show that dress or make sure things that I never would have known. Yeah, of course. Because they have these connections to these people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they liked it. Yeah. And so job well done. And the other thing I did, I'll throw this in there, was I waited. I waited like an extra half an hour mm-hmm. for that panic Oh, wait, we forgot one extra thing because I didn't want to get on the subway assuming I was done and then have to (laughs) find out that there was something else. So that that went well. Yeah. It's it's stressful, but if you come up with a game plan, Mm. you can get through it. And that's a very different beast of... uh, of workflow, let's say, compared to, say, narrative editing or documentary editing. Yeah, totally. It's a very different... um, mindset yeah because now with like the big budget blockbuster movies that we see like they spend 18 months on editing you spend a lot of time and there's a lot of you know back and forth yeah. and you know reviews and let's stop and think about it you know and that's 
you need to do that. Mm-hmm. But in this kind of editing, it's it's all about deadlines that right. are really unreasonable, <laughs> yeah. but are not going to go away. So yeah, exactly. you, you kind of have to accept it. Yeah. So well, how how long was the final intro? Um, I mean, I guess a couple minutes. Okay. I mean, but wow. the ratio of footage to final is it's yeah i don't know what it was but yeah. it, was, it was nuts exactly yeah. i shot my third short film my my parents acted in and my dad kept on talking about how like man you have to shoot so much just to get 15 seconds of footage right <laughs> like yeah yeah it's uh it's difficult <laughs> right absolutely yeah so when did you start getting into that more narrative work with uh feature films and docs and stuff like that well i mean i cut a three-part doc for Vice. And that was another sort of random happenstance kind of thing. Mm. Um, A friend recommended, again, a friend (laughs) recommended me and I went in for an interview and I couldn't really tell if I did well in the interview or not. Mm -hmm. And I sent, you know, the sort of thank you follow-up that you're supposed to do. Didn't Mm. hear anything and kind of forgot about it. And then... Maybe a couple of weeks went by, and then I get this phone call on a Friday afternoon, and it's from the guy at Vice. And he's like, "Can you come in? Can you come in? We we need you to come in." And in in that moment, I realized that one, the interview had gone well. Right. Two, I got the freelance gig, and nobody had told me. And three, I guess it starts right now. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I said, sure. Yeah, seriously. And I went in and, I, again, I'm, uh, there was a project that um, a couple of guys had been shooting. And I, I have no idea how long they had been uh, filming, but it was clearly substantial. Mm-hmm. And it was a film about a guy in, I'm pretty sure it was Miami, who had convinced himself and everyone else around him that he was a superhero. Wow. And um, had his own lair and costume. <laughs> okay. You know, so you could think, as, oh, is this just sort of a, kind of an, a quirky character yeah. kind of thing? But the the really wonderful part of the story was his, um, his duty, or so he saw, was to help the um, people that were ignored in Miami. So kind of going around town and giving blankets and food and, and items to homeless people and, mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. So kind of a touching story yeah. on top of it. Anyway, they're they're introducing me to this material. And again, it's Final Cut, which is, okay, great. I know Final Cut, no problem. But they basically wanted an assembly that was feature length. And they wanted it by Monday. And this was like Friday afternoon. <laughs> you just keep getting yourself in yeah, these debacles. <laughs> I, I guess. I'm, I'm, I, they're calling me in for this stuff. Yeah. Um, it's because you had those 10-week quarters at SCAD. You're like, all right, let's just do it, they, I guess. You must be able to handle this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, and not only this, but they, the, these two guys left, and they had to go shoot something else. Mm-hmm. And I literally was given the key <laughs> to Vice headquarters. And they're like, here's the key come and go as you please, Yeah, but you could sleep here if you want. <laughs> and whoa, so I was just there yeah. for, you know, 48 hours straight or mm-hmm. whatever it was. And I had never cut. I mean, I, you know, I've done 
you know, short documentary-like material before, mm-hmm. but no, nothing ever on this scale. And um, there, there were some rough concepts, and, you know, they had pulled together things that they liked, and there was kind of a string out of interview clips that they knew they wanted to use, but but I had a lot of freedom because I mean, yeah. I was basically by myself. Yeah, and they weren't, and they weren't there. <laughs> that's right. I, I was left to my own devices. Yeah. And, and I got over like the fear of it pretty quickly because it was kind of exhilarating. I mean, I'm the kind of person that likes a deadline because if, if, right. I'm, if I'm given all the time in the world, that's exactly what I'll take. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, so it was fun um, just kind of trying to figure it out and left it in a, in a decent place, I thought, mm. and, and kind of moved on. And somebody picked up where I left off. I mean, that's another thing about the freelance world is um, it's kind of a baton pass yeah. sometimes. Yeah. I mean, ideally you get to see the, the thing from beginning to end, but, but sometimes you're just collaborating and you may not even meet the other people that you're, yeah. that you're working with. Yeah. Was that frustrating at all to think like, oh, I, I put all this work in, now someone else might come in and potentially screw it up? Um, initially I thought it might be, but then I got used to it because yeah. I realized that it wasn't going to be like it was in film school. Hmm. where you tend to get attached to one thing and see it all the way through right. for good or or worse. Yeah, um, that's true. And, and I, I sort of realized, well, you know, I, I care about it and I want it to be good to the extent that I can, but it's also not my project. I'm one small piece right. of, of something bigger than yeah. whatever my passion project might be. And when you see it that way, it's, it's less frustrating. Mm-hmm. So... Where did your interest in docs come from? Because like you were telling that story, you know, the first movies you were watching were like, you know, these huge, well-known 80s blockbusters. So where were docs introduced to your, you know, zeitgeist, I guess? Yeah, it's strange because I um, was always a narrative guy. Yeah. And in film school, it was narrative, narrative, Mm -hmm. narrative. I wasn't really interested in docs. I mean, I watched docs and I enjoyed them, but I didn't think that that's what I wanted to do. I guess in those experiences in New York, I kind of seemed to be constantly working on documentary-like material. Even at the New York Times, it was, you know, op-ed stuff or news of the day right, or that sort of thing. Every yeah. now and then it was kind of a little featurette or like that fashion film or fashion week thing. But, but um, I just found myself working on that kind of stuff more and more. I found myself watching more docs hmm. than narratives. While I was in New York, for whatever reason, yeah, I guess I just got more plugged into issues of the day. And, yeah, and it was probably more accessible too. Yeah, for yeah. sure. I mean, uh, yeah, New York. I mean, you just <laughs> you walk outside and there's like five theaters surrounding right. you. So exactly. there's so many things to watch yeah. all the time. And uh, yeah, so I guess I kind of my my uh, my palette changed, I guess, and I started watching more docs. And then it was really when I got the teaching gig here that that started to coalesce with with the work that I would do. Okay, gotcha. So how did uh, teaching here like even become on your radar? When, before we were uh, recording, you said that people were telling you in school, like, oh, you're going to teach one day. And you said that you were never interested in it. Like you kind of dismissed all those people. So how did that come about? Right. Well, how did you get roped into that? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a good story. Uh, one of the last things I did before I graduated was I... Uh, was a teaching assistant for um, one of the post professors here at the time, uh, B.J. Sears, 
who um it's who the editing room is named after that's right, right? yeah and so adler, if you yeah. yeah if you look at adler one of the rooms is um named after him mm-hmm. um so he was a huge mentor for me taught me avid and i was frustrated <laughs> With it, but you know, he that's was, really comforting to know yeah. that when I was frustrated in your class, yeah, you were also frustrated in someone yeah, else's class. Yeah, it's a cyclical thing. Everybody, yeah. Everybody's like, look, I'm still frustrated with that. I, <laughs> I love it, but yeah. And he was a very patient man, yeah. and a brilliant man. And um, I met Walter Murch, the editor, through him, mm-hmm. and so I have very fond memories of time here at school when I was his teaching assistant, and um, was in New York for a number of years. And by the time I guess I'd, I guess I had been there about, uh, what, seven or eight years or so. I started to sort of feel like I was moving away from what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. I was doing a lot of the uh, distribution work. Right. And I was good at it. And um, there were perks to it for sure. Yeah. I got to work on some really great projects, recognizable films and meet filmmakers and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. But I really had moved away from making independent content. It was just really hard to focus on it. Yeah. there was just so much going on. Yeah, exactly. And so I was kind of thinking like, well, what's next and where am I going to go? Mm-hmm. And in that mindset, you start reaching out to people and having conversations. And he was one of the people that I reached out to. I sent him an email, just wanted to sort of say, you know, hey, hope you remember me. Uh, want to have a conversation with you about career stuff if you have a chance to get on the phone. Mm-hmm. And he didn't respond. I just chalked it up to like when you're a teacher, yeah, you're focused on your classes. And yeah, I, I certainly know what yeah. that's like now. Yeah. And um, as it turned out, one of the reasons he didn't respond was because he was ill at the time. Mm. I can't remember how it happened, but I had reached out to SCAD separate from him mm. about a different job. And then the conversation kind of switched over to film and television. Mm-hmm. And there was a position open for post and he had passed away Mm. and it was a very quick turnaround he had a terminal illness and um it was a quick um process Mm -hmm. after i had gotten i mean i came down and did my interview and all that sort of thing didn't know this at the time apparently they had asked him before he passed away if he had like a short list of people that they should reach out to and i was on the list wow so he had read my email. Wow. And I guess maybe he thought, hey, I remember him as a TA. Maybe he could do this. Mm-hmm. And when I found that out, I was like, okay, boy, uh, now I really have to like live up to. <laughs> That's a high compliment. Getting this job. Yeah. 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 Wow. That's yeah. really powerful. So I'm hmm. always thinking about him yeah. and what he gave me. Because that's one of the main re- rooms that you teach in. That was the room yeah. that I took your class in. Yeah. So it's yeah. it's really, it's a, it's a poignant thing to get yeah. to walk into all the time. Totally. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So you, you mentioned how you were working in distribution a lot. Um, before we dive into more about your teaching, I do want to go to a question that I had submitted by Professor Brennan, who uh, I'm taking his editing aesthetics class. He's another editing professor here. He wanted to ask, like, how did distribution, did that affect your editing styles at all? Like, seeing these movies in these late stages, like, did that influence what you do now in any way? Or was it more of like a pay-the-bills type thing? I mean, it definitely started off as pay-the-bills mm-hmm. and get my self to New York right. kind of thing. Yeah. Um, 
but it was incredibly valuable in the sense that I got to see the mechanics of how distribution and in the industry works, mm -hmm. specifically for independent work. And as a result, I got to meet a lot of filmmakers and see a lot of films. Yeah. And what was fascinating, I think, th this was not part of my job, but I could watch other people do their job, which was incredibly difficult. They had to find the the diamond in the rough. They mm. had to find the film that was going to yeah. become the zeitgeist. Oh my gosh, you have to go see this movie. Which is a very hard thing to do. Yeah. And it's getting even harder yeah. because of how difficult it is to get people's attention and keep yeah. it. And because of that, you have all these movies coming in that are hoping to be that next movie. Watch my movie, watch my movie. And so there's just like thousands of them. You know, these people have to kind of sift through all this and find the ones. And because of that, it means that they have to be very um, brutal, let's say, right, yeah. for lack of a better word, yeah. in terms of their observations. Like if it's not working in the first 15 minutes, um, or maybe even in the first five minutes, honestly. Yeah, we're we're moving on. It's not going to work in the rest hour and a half. <laughs> and and I'm and I'm sitting there thinking as a filmmaker, oh my gosh, like if that were my film, sure, maybe the first fifteen minutes aren't, but you know, hang on, it's going to get great in an hour. It's like sorry, of course, yeah, sorry, we have to move on. And right. I think in a way, I don't know if this is answering uh, Chris's question, but um, in a way, it changed the way I felt about movies. It's it's hard not to be self-conscious. Like, you care about your movie so much, mm -hmm. and you should, but you also have to um, be open to the realities of the business. And yeah. um, and that doesn't mean compromise your vision, but mm -hmm. it does mean you, you have to try to see outside of yourself. You got to take the blinders off and, yeah. and remember that... Yeah, the movie's got to work in the first. Yeah. I mean, it should, right? Yeah, of course. And that doesn't mean you have to follow some formula, but but it does mean you've got to grab your audience. And, yeah. and if you're not, we, we've got to move on, right? Because yeah. there's, there's very little room for failure mm -hmm. in that world. Yeah. And now I think that time in like when you have to grab people is like even exp like it's exponentially shorter. Right. Because uh, the way I think about it is like people can watch something that they know they're going to enjoy they can watch it in an instant, you know, because people have the same shows that they watch on whatever streaming service or like they watch the same YouTubers or whatever. They know like if I go to this person, it's like a safe choice. So if they see yeah. a video that's new, like if the first maybe 15 seconds doesn't interest them, like they see a, they see an ad 10 seconds in, they're like, no, I'm not, no, I'm just getting out of here. Right, so, right. What a big responsibility. <laughs> I mean, it used to be that you you went to a movie and you knew pretty quickly. It's like, all right, this I'll I'll sit through this, but I'm not really liking this movie. But, yeah. But you saw the whole thing, mm -hmm. and now we have so much control that it's like, okay, if I'm even mildly disinterested in the first five seconds, <laughs> yeah, goodbye. Right? Exactly. And if you, the and intro is too long, yeah, I'm it, out of here. Yeah, yeah. And I there's good things about that, and, right. and I think there might be some bad things about yeah. that too. But that's that's the world it is yeah exactly is, so so circling back to your teaching do you see editing any differently now that you've been properly teaching it uh for four years i'm glad you said properly <laughs> i i I'm, I'm glad you think so yes uh, <laughs> very properly professionally <laughs> right um inspiringly whatever other words i can throw out there you know i i'm not sure that this answers your question but 
I'll put it this way. When I started here as a teacher, I was a decent editor. And I think I'm a better editor now. Right. And it's not, I mean, part of it's because I've gotten more technically proficient. Mm -hmm. And I was okay when I started, but I, I'm better now than I was. But it's also because just by being surrounded by students and their work yeah. and talking about it, whether it's just a theoretical kind of big picture thing or more specifically a certain student's project, I'm developing skill sets too. And that's the thing about teaching is um, it's not done in, in, in the abstract. It's, it's a growing and evolving thing. Right, yeah. And Especially at a place like here. Yeah, I mean, you have to keep up. Yeah. And everybody's got a new idea and a new problem that they need to have yeah. solved. Yeah. And it, what worked for the last person isn't going to work for this person. Mm -hmm. And um, whether you're even thinking about it or not, all that stuff gets added to your own process too. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I find myself giving a lecture in, in my class to some students and I'll tell them like, guys, I'm not just telling this to you because it's in a book. Like I'm quite literally doing the same thing in my free time right now. And, yeah. I, and sometimes I could even bring in a project and say like, here it is. I think you did that in my class. That was really interesting. Right. Yeah. Um, that's what's so fun about yeah. teaching for me is, is you know, getting to spend time with students and see their uh, evolution uh, as artists, but also that I benefit from it too. And, and then I, mm -hmm. just, I just bring that new thing to the next class. Yeah. You know, it just continues to grow. Yeah. And it seems like, obviously, I don't know what it's like from the professor's side, but it seems like you'll have a lot of freedom on like how you teach things, you know, you can, you can mold it in your own way, like, and you can make it as effective as you can make it with your previous experience. Like if someone takes, if I, you know, I took your editing class, but if I took Professor Brennan's uh, intro editing class, then I would have like a different experience, which I think is like a really, really cool thing. Cause you can learn different things. Cause you know, now I'm taking his editing aesthetics class and I'm learning so many different things. Right. Absolutely. Know? And I mean, part of it is like, okay, I know I've got to hit these certain points, Yeah, whether it's a technical thing or a mm -hmm. theoretical thing, but how you do it can change. And so much of what you do as a teacher initially is just kind of like, okay, can I get through it at all? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and have it make sense. Totally. And, and does anybody in the room understand what I'm trying to do or is it going <laughs> or over their just heads? glazing over. Right. <laughs> yeah. And then when you can kind of get... A handle on that, then it becomes um, really fun because you can kind of do it your way. Yeah, and there's no getting around it. There are things you just have to get through that are that are um, hard to make fun. Let's say. Yeah. But um, there are moments that always come up, and sometimes they're they're so spontaneous that it's like I wish I could do that every time, but. Every class is going to have a different cast of characters. Yeah, and, of and, course. And that's what makes it fun. It's always yeah. going to be a little different. Yeah. So you obviously teach both the specifics, uh, or I should say the technical aspects of editing, like, you know, with AVID and a lot of people get their AVID certification through your classes and things like that. But you also teach the emotional aspects of editing and how can how it can affect story and things like that. Do you prefer teaching one over the other? Is teaching technical just a, a means to an end of achieving those those story aspects? 
Right. Um, I like, I love getting to watch the progression of the student. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the wonderful things about the undergraduate program is that I can have a student in the intro class who by the end of the quarter has discovered that they are interested in editing and mm -hmm. they have some grasp of Avid. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be Avid, just the software mm -hmm. concept part of it. And they, and they, they want to get better at it. Mm hmm and that's the that's half of it, right? It's yeah, like totally. I can show you how to do it, but if you are not driven to do it yourself, mm -hmm. then it's not going to happen. Yeah. So they show that, and then they start to do it on their own. And I still see them because they come back, and they're in other classes, but they bring right. their they bring their work and their workflow problems and whatever, mm -hmm. which I love. And then they take the aesthetics class, which is more okay. We're assuming you're okay with the software to right. some degree. We'll be an Avid, but we'll also be in Premiere, and mm. we'll, we'll kind of bounce around. But we're not going to talk about that stuff. We're going to talk about why this cut works or doesn't and how to get to the right mindset. And by their senior year, they're flying. Right. It's like, I'm, it's yeah. like if I'm an instructor and I'm teaching them how to, <laughs> how to fly a plane, like my hands are off yeah. and I'm just watching them do it. And other people are coming up to them and saying, how do I do this? And how do I do that? And they're like kind of shooing people like, well, I'm trying to do my own stuff, right? But they're help, but they are helping. Of course, yeah. They know what they're doing and they're not coming to me as much anymore, mm -hmm. except when they want some feedback. And my feedback is, this is amazing. And I'm so proud of you. Yeah. I bet that's got to be just the best. It's the feeling. best. Yeah. It's the best. Yeah. And then they go off and they get jobs and, yeah, exactly. and I do it all over again. Yeah. It's the best. You're giving them what you were given in right. film school. You know, it's right. like totally the whole circle of it. You you kind of brushed on the fact of how in these editing aesthetics class you're talking about why certain cuts are good or bad. And I think that can lead me to the question of editors are kind of the unsung heroes of the film ministry. Not, you know, people don't really talk about them that much. You know, you're you all aren't the ones getting the interviews, except for this one. But you know, like the big interviews and stuff like that, people are always talking to the directors and the DPs and like those are the ones getting their pictures taken and stuff like that. Why do you think editors are so underrepresented and not getting that that attention? Because your influence is huge on the final product. Like the role of an editor is of like they can make or break a movie, and I've seen both happen. You know what I mean? So right. Why why not be in those same conversations? It's a really simple answer because we don't want to be. <laughs> really? Okay. We don't want to be anywhere near. <laughs> the drama <laughs> and attention that everybody else gets. Right. We want to be in the nice, comfortable, air-conditioned <laughs> air room where, like, food and coffee are nearby. <laughs> and we don't have to be on set for, you know, 24 hours a day. Exactly. And we can take a nap on the couch that's right right next to the <laughs> yeah. suite, and we can watch Netflix. And Right. I mean, who wouldn't want to do yeah. that? It's the. I mean, I shouldn't be talking about this because it's the best-kept secret. <laughs> exactly. Who would want to be on set? Your classes are just going to fill up so quickly when, when after you, this. <laughs> yeah, when you can do that. Um, yeah. We, we like being the silent, you know, person in the back yeah. handling all that stuff. Mm -hmm. I think most of us do. And, you know, sometimes I refer to editors as ninjas. They're, they're the ones doing all this amazing stuff, and yet you really just have no concept of yeah. their presence. And that's, yeah. that's okay with us. Wow. So like, is there ever a time where you've, you've edited something and like maybe you're watching like a post-screening Q&A and someone mentions a scene and you wish you could go up and be like, just so everyone knows, that was totally my idea. <laughs> like I am the reason that scene is as good as it is. 
Um, like obviously, like you were saying, you know, you you don't want the spotlight, but is there are there ever times where you just want to like throw it out there? What I usually tell students is, if you make something work and it was hard to get it there because the performance was lacking yeah. or the coverage was iffy. Mm-hmm. First of all, what you don't want to do is you don't want to complain about those things. Never gossip about those things. Oh, this director's, you know, not really up to par. This acting, not so great. Keep that to yourself mm-hmm. and protect the project, protect the director, because the mm-hmm. director's in a really vulnerable position, putting themselves out there, trying to t- hopefully taking risks and telling a story. And that's a vulnerable place to be. And you want to make sure that you respect that and that you're on their side, mm-hmm. not talking about them behind their back. But when you do pull something off, and you know that just around the corner of some of those frames you chose are some really not so great moments. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great feeling, but you also don't need to boast about it. Because, like, you know, and probably if the director has been with you, they right. know too. Yeah. And then they're like, you're staying with me. <laughs> right. It's, it's kind of job security. It's like, I want you to cut everything. I mean, that's why you'll see, like, certain directors always work with the same totally. editor. Yeah. That's a huge reason is because Mm. this person gets me, but they also protect my butt. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, totally. They turn my crap into gold. (laughs) And they don't talk about it. Yeah. And it's like this little magic trick that we kind of do behind closed doors. And we know the truth. Right. But nobody else needs to know. Yeah. That's so interesting because I think there are some roles in filmmaking and really any any career, whether it be in the entertainment industry or otherwise, that some people go into it. Because of the red carpets and the cameras and they right. want to, they want the lights on them and stuff like that. Sure. But that's just, you know, I don't, I hope not, but maybe you've met some people like this, but, you know, it sounds like no one's going into editing because like, I want to be some hot shot editor because like no one's, no one is that, <laughs> you know, right. you know, you're obviously respected in your community and stuff like that. But that's kind of like comforting to know that if, if someone's an editor, they're doing it because of their passion for editing, you know? I mean, I think there are places where editing stands out. Like the, the one that comes to mind is like a trailer. Right. I mean, yeah. when, when you want to watch a trailer again, that's the sign that the editing is really snapping and working. And that's cool, mm-hmm. you know? And, and I mean, trailers are designed to be like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. I'm going to share it with everybody yeah. I know. They become so important nowadays. And I mean, because it's a marketing device. Yeah, exactly. And Everybody is essentially doing the job of the studio now by sharing that trailer. Yeah. You know, we don't think of ourselves that way, but we are the ones spreading the trailer. If it's good. We are unpaid independent contractors to spread the trailer. Right. And and, in a trailer, the editing is kind of front and center. Yeah, absolutely. um, In a way that it isn't in other experiences. And in that regard, the trailer editors are still not known. I mean, we have we have some students that are trailer editors now. Their names aren't getting you know yeah. shared. There's no credits at the end of the trailer, <laughs> and there should be. Absolutely, should, I mean yeah. that's that's a huge viable part of the industry. Yeah, um, and it's an exciting part. That's I think that's a place where it, uh, editing stands out, but not in terms of getting recognition aside from awards and things like that. Right, and I think that's an interesting part about Post is that I didn't know before SCAD that there are production companies that only, or Post houses, I should say, that only do trailers. Right. You know, like that's, I just, I just kind of, I guess I assumed that that was just something that the editor did on the side. Right, right. Because, <laughs> you know, y'all obviously have so much free time. Absolutely. No, I'm kidding. But to learn that there are people that like, all I do is cut trailers 
is is really interesting because it is a whole as I'm you know we're literally working on trailer editing in my editing aesthetics class it is a whole different beast right. than editing a narrative together right it's just such a different muscle yeah so recently um I think while you've been a professor at SCAD I could be wrong but you worked on a doc called Through the Windmill with another professor at, at SCAD, Professor Kokowski. I'm, I'm pretty sure she was the director. Yes. I think. So can you tell me about how y'all got into that project? Because like you were telling me before we started recording, she was actually in your grad class whenever you came here for film school. So how did that collaboration come about and what was that experience like? Yeah. So she, yeah, we had gone to school together. Mm -hmm. um, we knew each other. We were kind of in the same social circles, but hadn't really worked with each other that much while we were in school. She was really instrumental in convincing me to come down here from New York. Okay. When I was kind of trying to figure all of that out, mm -hmm. I knew she was here, and um, she was very helpful with that whole transition for me. And, I mean, I even, like, crashed at her house initially when I yeah. was trying to figure out where I was going to be. And she had mentioned that she had been shooting this doc, mm -hmm. and this was something that she had been... Um, working on for several years yeah. before I had come here. And I had no idea that she needed an editor, yeah. but she eventually proposed it to me. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. I didn't know it at the time, but I was um, about to get into something really interesting because aside from that Vice experience, I hadn't really cut long form. You know, I had touched it here and there yeah. or, or contributed but I hadn't mm -hmm. been like the sole editor on a feature. In a way, I was really excited because that's exactly the kind of thing that I wanted to do when I decided to take this leap to be a professor as I knew I wanted to get back into independent stuff. So she gave me the footage, and she's still shooting at, at this time. Right. But it's by far the most footage I've ever had <laughs> for anything. Yeah. And it's daunting because there's, I mean... There were probably like upwards of 70 interviews. Oh my gosh. You know, not all of which are necessarily going to be in the movie, but, yeah. but you still have to comb through all yeah. of them and get to know them and decide that they're not going to be in the movie, right? Yeah, because all of a sudden you're the decision maker. You're not being plucked in. In a big way, yeah. because there is no script. Um, right. There, there, there are ideas and topics and, and ideas for structure, but, but where do we start the movie? We could start anywhere, mm -hmm. right? Which initially is, is intimidating and mm -hmm. kind of paralyzing, but eventually becomes exciting. And I vividly remember before having cut anything and just kind of setting up the project, the biggest question I have is like, where to begin? And the fear of not having an answer. And then as silly as it sounds, because it's so obvious... The answer was like, well, just start anywhere. It doesn't really matter. And right. so I asked her, because it was kind of a travelogue, uh, the movie's about um, mini golf, and she had gone all over the country shooting different courses. But one of the first things I had to do is answer the question, well, what about mini golf? You know, when, yeah. when you're not working on the movie, somebody says, what are you working on? Oh, I'm working on the mini golf doc. Oh, cool, the mini golf doc. But then when you're working on it, it's like, well, well, what about mini yeah. golf? <laughs> yeah. What like exactly? Just mini golf? Or? Yeah. Like yeah. what? What? What's gonna? What's? What are we gonna talk about yeah. here? And that was sort of up in the air. There were there were topics like his, mm -hmm. the history of it and the differences and that sort of thing. But mm -hmm. but what were we gonna focus on? I I didn't know, and I had to just accept that I wasn't gonna know for a while, and that's difficult too. Yeah. 
is like making a doc. And again, these all sound like kind of cliches, but when you live it, you realize it in a big way. Is like making a doc as a discovery. Yeah. And that and that means looking at everything, watching everything, listening to everybody, yeah. sifting through it, going down dead ends and coming back. So I asked her um, for a sequence that she, th- that she thought I could cut that would be kind of isolated because I wanted something that I could kind of test and kind of feel out the material and also kind of feel out the dynamic between the two of us. Because I, w- I wanted to see how she was going to react to what I did and how she gave notes and yeah. how I would react to what she said and all that. Where did you get that idea? I, th- I think that's a fantastic idea. Was that just like a kind of out of the blue thing? I don't know, but you're right. It is a great idea. Thank you. <laughs> yes, yes. I, I no, don't, really. I mean, like I never thought like, yeah, do a little test run, see if it's going to work. Instead yeah. of like, let's dive into this 30 or 90 minute feature doc, you know? Yeah. I mean, I was hoping whatever we did would be used, but but I kind of saw it as like a test run. And Hmm. and, um, so she picked out this place in San Francisco Mm -hmm. that was relatively new and it had its own sort of mini golf course that was attached to a uh, eatery. It was all interior Mm -hmm. and it was very sort of um, steampunk, very, very current. And so I cut it together, you know, interviews and B-roll and all that sort of thing. And she watched it and gave me feedback, and it was good feedback. Mm. I was like, okay, I cut it, and it's together, but I still don't really feel like I know where this movie's headed or or what my role is in it. And part of this was just because I was new to the experience on this level. I think that's what I was really trying to do is figure out, like, okay, how do I contribute to this experience? What's my part in this? Mm -hmm. So I'm not just cutting stuff because cutting stuff is easy. I mean, that, that sounds terrible, but, like, you know, I, I can find sound bites and put yeah. some B-roll on it yeah, totally. and, you know, okay, it's done, but mm-hmm. but why? You know, that, yeah. like that was the thing I needed to figure out. And it wasn't until I cut together what eventually became the introduction to the movie that I kind of thought, okay, maybe this is what this movie is about. It's not, it's about mini golf, but it's really about these people that are entrepreneurs that just happen to be using mini golf. Yeah as their vehicle, let's say. Mm-hmm. They're really interesting. They're all different, but they're right. all, and they all have these little worlds in their head. Yeah. Quite like literally and figuratively. Yeah. And all they want to do is entertain people. And of course they want to make some money. And some of them are successful at it. And some of them have been doing it for 50 years and some of them started yesterday. But that's the thing that kind of ties them all together. And again, kind of sounds kind of obvious, but when we realized that, and of course she was part of this back and forth mm-hmm. with me, that's when I realized, oh, that's what I'm doing. I'm helping her figure out the structure and weed through all this material. Yeah, I'm the one with my hands on the keyboard, yeah. but we're really doing it together. Mm-hmm. And that was an amazing yeah. moment. Like, I'll never forget it. And now, you know, we're, we're about to start a new one. Um, she's shooting a new doc. Mm-hmm. I'm far less. It's like, by the time I finished mini golf, and this sounds silly, but it's true, I was a different person Oh, yeah. Creatively at the end than I was at the beginning. Really? In what ways? Um, When you cut a feature, it changes. And, and, you know, I try to say this in in my uh, post classes, like, you know, it's it's the reason I see Avid the way I do. It's like Mm -hmm. when you you deal with that much material um, technically, but also creatively, it just Mm -hmm. changes your perspective on... That it, I mean, the endurance that it takes right, to make that. Right, yeah. It's like you're climbing that, a mountain. That whole thing work. Yeah. And, and I don't think that I'm 
where I want to be yet creatively with that, but I can see, I can see potential in myself, you know, like I've still got some serious room to grow in that area, which is exciting. Um, but I love that form, you know, like short form is exciting for different reasons, but the Mm -hmm. long form is like, that's a cool challenge that I'm excited to to continue to work on. Yeah. So do you find that you are always always learning new things about it because I think it's interesting that you said that you acknowledge that you still have room to grow because I know when I was just getting started in my film career I've kind of learned that this isn't the case as I've matured but uh, there's there's this like perception that you you gain knowledge and it's like filling up, up a cup then it's full and then you're just like operating at cruising altitude for the whole time um, but I just think it's cool that you acknowledge that, like, that's that's comforting to hear that there's always new things to be exploring, like new oh, paths yeah. to pave. Yeah. You know? I mean, I've got so much more learning to do. Mm. And, I mean, that's part of why being a professor is cool is yeah. because I'm always seeing better ways of doing things yeah. through students. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I'll, I'll be demonstrating something in Avid, like, you got to do this, that, and the other thing. And then I'll have a student say, uh, you know, you could just do this one thing <laughs> and it'd be done. They're like, huh. <laughs> okay, maybe you should be teaching this right, class. Right, exactly. Let's um, swap seats. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and but creatively, too. You yeah. know, seeing how somebody else is like, wow, I never would have approached it that way. And that's that's cool. Yeah. That's what's so fascinating to me about docs. And I, I want to make one so bad because... Like you were saying with with narratives, like you you've got a script. You basically have like a blueprint for how it's going to be edited. Obviously, there are still creative decisions that you can make, but there's like a framework. You know, we have to have this scene. We have to have these lines said and everything. But in a doc, like you can just totally the editor can make it whatever they want it to be. Like your influence is so so huge, and that's what I think is. Maybe maybe editors get more recognition in the doc world because they just they just get given, you know, 70 interviews or and however many hours of footage. And it's like, all right, well, there might be a story here. Make something out of it. Right. So I think that's what's so um, like that just adds to the achievement of of making a feature doc. Um, but are you going to be editing her next one? Yeah, she okay. she began filming earlier this year. It's a film about something that's currently happening in Savannah. It's a uh, it's a project called the Tiny House Project. The idea is to house uh, homeless veterans mm-hmm. to build a community for them. It's there are different phases of it, but uh, on a portion of it has been built. People have already moved in over the summer, so she's been following the conception and and initial uh, building of it. And now she's going to kind of follow it for at least a year to see how it works. Right. You know, there's kind of an overall view in terms of just the mechanics of it, but then she's also kind of following individuals mm-hmm. on both ends of it, both the people that are um, building it and the people that are going to be inhabiting the homes. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of a character study, but also kind of looking at it from the perspective of how does this affect the community and and is mm-hmm. this something that could be working in other uh, areas of the country. So um, very different, let's say, from, yeah. from mini golf. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I would I would definitely say that's a pivot for sure. Um, what's it like being a part of the stock like from the beginning? It's amazing. Yeah. I'm so excited to not yeah. get a hard drive with <laughs> six years of footage, although I was, you know, that was a cool experience. But yeah. it's nice to be um, on the uh, on the front end. Mm-hmm. And, you know, over the summer, she gave me the first several months 
and I was able to start watching it all and organizing it. You know, I, I always say a huge percentage of editing is organization. And I don't just mean the bins. I also mean like, like in a doc, what I'll do is I'll have timelines both for the individual interviews where I kind of separate out their sound bites, but then I'll also make timelines for topics. Okay. And I'll just drop yeah. sound bites. And I'm sort of passively collecting moments over time. Okay, yeah. somebody said something about, you know, um, working with Savannah in terms of the city. Okay, I'm going to put that in this timeline. And yeah. anytime somebody says that, I open up that timeline and drop mm. it in there. And, you know, after a few weeks of doing that, suddenly I've got a robust timeline that could yeah. become a section of the totally. movie. So it's really, just, it's almost like, you know, being an archivist or something, you're just kind of organizing hmm. and collecting stuff before yeah. you really know what to do with it. Yeah. And is it comforting going into this one, like kind of already having a better idea of what the story is? Um, yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of interesting because in this one, we don't know what, how it's going to turn out. Yeah. Um, and yeah, because it's an active thing that's right, happening. Yeah. Right. And so there's, it's, it could be, it could go in any direction and that's kind of um, exciting. And, mm-hmm. you know, we we've started talking about it. Amanda and I are going to sit down and and talk about where she is right now in mm-hmm. terms of what she has and how we see some of the characters and what do we need more of, you know. And but not just B roll, but just where's the story going? Right. You know. And I always I've I've cut a, a handful of short docs and and obviously the feature, mm. and um, I will often get asked at some point by the director if I want co-writer or co-director credit, which I always appreciate, but yeah. I, don't, I don't take. But it's always a nice compliment because it's them saying, yeah, I, you're a big part of yeah. making this work yeah. on those levels, not just in the timeline, totally. but in the writing of it. Why yeah. do you not take that credit? Um, because I'm a, I'm cool just being the editor. Yeah, I guess that just goes back to what yeah. you said earlier. Yeah, and, and because yeah. They're, they're the ones that are leading the the charge on those fronts, right. not not really me. I yeah. mean, it's nice that they think that, but yeah. to me, that's what they're doing. So what do you think is the most misunderstood aspect of editing, of people who are maybe outside of the industry? The thing I think that um, is currently a misconception about editing really is, this is a dig against software companies. So <laughs> watch, out. watch out. Yeah. They're and, all listening. And, 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 I, I, and I'll, you know, I'll include all of them in this. Yeah. There seems to be a very big push with technology in general to say that it's easy. Mm, mm-hmm. It's e- it's easy to to edit. It's easy to film to sh- to shoot something, and and this is only from the technology and mm-hmm. the companies behind it from their perspective, and that the technology allows it to be easy, the convenience of it, and they're not wrong. You know, I I can open up something like iMovie, for example. And I mean, I opened up iMovie this like a year ago and they had this thing in there where it was like the trailer maker. Oh, wow. And they, and they it's like a template. Like, yeah. do, you, do you want to make a trailer for a comedy or a horror film or <sighs> this? And then just put in these elements yeah. and tag them with, put your names in and it kind of does it for you. Following certain you know, yeah. sort of tropes. Exactly. Yeah. And that's awesome for a kid that's messing around <laughs> yeah. or a family that wants to put something together for yeah, a family or video or something yeah. like that. And it probably gets a lot of people initially interested. Mm-hmm. 
in the process. And yeah. that, that can't be a bad thing. But on the other hand, that kind of stuff worries me because mm-hmm. it's like, you know what? Editing is hard. And, and, and I don't mean that in a sort of like, oh, only certain people can do it. I mean it in a sort of like, it's a craft. And it's a wonderful thing to get lost in and get better at. And it takes a lot of time and skill sets mm-hmm. to do it. You can have certain gifts at it. But even if you're the most gifted editor, like right out of the box, you're still going to have a lot of time that you need to put into it to get really good at it over time, both creatively and technically. And that I don't think you can snap your fingers and have happen with technology. Yeah, totally. And so that's something that I always kind of feel like, oh yeah, yeah, I I can edit this in no time and have it up on the screen. It's like, well, you could. Yeah. But what's it adding up to? I'm not sure. Yeah, I think that's. I think that totally relates to how freelance, anyone in the freelance world that's in the creative world, like freelance photographers, freelance editors, freelance videographers, like it can be so hard to negotiate a high pay because they're like, okay, why am I going to pay you to photograph my wedding? I could just take pictures on my iPhone. Right. It's like, okay, well, again, you could, but right. you're totally missing out on this big thing. In the same way of like, if someone was to hire an editor, they're like, well, I could just go into iMovie and use this template. Right. It's like, man, that's kind of uh, dangerous for the for the freelance world, you know? Right. And, and then you see companies that are, you know, like iMovie that are trying to capitalize on the, uh, the plug and play kind of template aspect of it. Like there's a podcast distribution slash, or I guess I should say podcast hosting platform called Anchor, which was recently bought by Spotify. And their whole thing was like, you can record it from your phone, record a podcast from anywhere. Right. Like, I'm sure that makes you... It makes me feel great. It makes me feel so happy. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which, like, I get it. They're, 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 they're making money off of the people who have a conversation in, in a diner, and they're like, we're so funny. We should sit down and record it. Right. And those people record one episode, and they'll never do it again, and that's fine. But right. it totally makes me want to be like, no, like you said, podcasting is hard. <laughs> right, <laughs> you know, right, It's, it's right. difficult. I mean, if you, if you look at it from the perspective of some a tool to get interested in something and and use it as a launching off point Absolutely. that's awesome yeah but it can't be the end all be all yeah that, that's all exactly exactly so before we wrap out i want to talk about some or i guess i want to ask you for your advice because the majority of people that are going to listen to this are students and hopefully that there are some specific editors that are going to be listening and you know probably wish that they were here picking your brains, being the ones doing that. But um, first off, I want to ask what advice you have for people who are interested in editing and have no editing experience. Maybe they are those iMovie editors, you know, people who haven't entered film school are considering doing that. What advice do you have for those people who are maybe from middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania? Right. Um, Well, you have access to what I could only dream of as a kid and wasn't even considering as a possibility because <laughs> yeah. it didn't exist. Yeah. And in that regard, that's exactly what I was trying to say before, which is that like things like iMovie and, you know, any other software are awesome because they give you a chance to get started. Mm-hmm. And I would say to you, the same thing I would say to a senior that's about to graduate, which is that if you want to be an editor, then you have to edit and you have to do it a lot. Just like a screenwriter needs to be writing scripts yeah. to get better at it. And you have to kind of accept that sometimes you're going to make stuff that you're less than enthusiastic about. But that's part of the process, too, is like, okay, I got to remember never to do that again. 
and you know more time goes by and you get better and better but you're only going to get better if you're constantly working on something so yeah. getting into the software whatever software you you like and um and working in there is mm -hmm. gonna is gonna pay dividends in the long run yeah so you you touched a little bit how you would say that's that's like the same advice you would give to a senior. Is there anything else that you would tack on to someone who's scared about entering the real world? Maybe their name is West Givens. Sure. <laughs> so if I were talking to West, um, <laughs> there's there's a lot of advice, but I'll give you something real specific. Mm -hmm. um, and this was something that I learned when I first got that job um, in distribution in New York. I had so many deadlines. Every month we might have 20 or so films that had to go to mm. Amazon or Hulu or Netflix or yeah. whatever. And that carried with it all sorts of different demands, assets, art, the video files, etc. And everybody needed to know that we were meeting these deadlines. And some of them had very specific demands. And so, for example, um, you know, like let's say we have something that needs to happen on Tuesday and it's getting to be Friday afternoon, mm -hmm. and I need to have something there. Everybody's wondering if it's gonna make the deadline or not. And I know that and I'm working on it. But then I look at my email and I've got an inbox full of emails saying, where are we with this? Yeah. What's going on? These sort of panicked emails. <laughs> and some of them have multiple question marks, which <laughs> I hate those emails. I hate emails with multiple question marks. Those are the worst. I'll keep that in mind. Yeah. I'll keep that in mind. Oh, no. that that This is not the advice. <laughs> okay. I would get very angry at those emails. Yeah. It's like, I'm I'm doing the thing that we, we agreed I was going to do. Why, why are they asking me? And then I stopped and I realized, and my boss kind of drilled this into my head, and I'm I'm so glad that she, that she did because now I tell this to my students. They have no idea whether I'm doing what I said I was going to do because they're not with me. They're somewhere else. They're, maybe they're not even in the office. And other people like Hulu's asking me or Amazon's asking me, hey, where's that file? And I'm not telling them because I'm doing it, but mm. I'm also not telling them. So my advice is to be proactive with your communication. And so what I did instead of getting those emails was I would stop and I would give them unsolicited, nobody asked me to do this, yeah. an update. Hey, everybody, you know, I'm working on this file and as agreed upon, and it should be done in about 45 minutes, and I'll update you later on with mm. whatever's going on, and we should be okay. You know, I'll follow up or whatever, yeah. right? And it, that did several things. One, it got rid of those emails, <laughs> yeah. which was a big plus. Yeah, no more question marks. Right. <laughs> Two, everybody calmed down Yeah. because we were on track. Yeah. And three, it was a good reflection that like, hey, I know you guys all are worried about this and I want you to know I've got it. Yeah. And that reflected well on me. I'm sure. Yeah. It seems like such a simple thing, mm -hmm. but nowadays with communication it's it's so easy to kind of just not do those sorts of things. Right. And people get frustrated and and unnecessarily so. And so I found when I did that, it addressed a lot of stuff. And just responding at all. Like, I'll have students email me, like, I'm going to be late, you know, uh, I'm stuck in traffic or, or whatever. Mm. I'll just write back, okay. Mm -hmm. You know, just so they know that I, I saw their email. Yeah, exactly. You know? Little things like that yeah. add up because it's like what you're kind of saying when you do that sort of thing is you're saying, I'm here. 
mm-hmm. and I'm accountable. Yeah. You can count on me to be responsive. And I'm not going to be one of those people that just kind of ducks and covers and, and you know, disappears, um, which is very easy to do. And I've done it myself and, you know, uh, it happens. But yeah. you don't want to be that because if you can demonstrate that you're accountable, people will latch on to you because it means, ooh, this person is for real and they take their work seriously and they're consistent. You know, consistency is a huge thing. You want people that are going to be there throughout the entire process. Yeah. Whatever it is. And I think that's the kind of thing that that applies whether you're on set or in an office somewhere. Absolutely. doesn't matter where you are. Yeah. Yeah. No one wants to work with someone who's not there and present. Right. You know, absolutely. Um, Well, before we do wrap it out, I I have a a question that I'm really curious what your answer is going to be. What's one movie that you look at and you wish... I wish I was the editor on that. Not so you could necessarily make different decisions, but because it's like just so cool and so edited well that you're like, I wish I wish I was the one doing that. I have, th- I have this weird thing where I will get obsessed with a movie out of nowhere. <laughs> and then that'll be the only thing I watch for like, <laughs> for like a month or two. Okay. I do that with music. <laughs> yeah, I do, yeah, I do that with music too. Yeah. Um, like, and I won't do it for a while and then it'll happen. Yeah. And sometimes my students discover it because I'll just keep mentioning. Just like, why do you keep mentioning that movie? Like, I'm yeah. sorry, guys. It's just yeah. my... what's the movie right now that you're watching? I don't know that there is one right now. Okay, but, but the last one that I can recall was Moneyball. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Wow. And I had seen that movie when it came out. I don't know what I expected, but that wasn't it. <laughs> yeah, me neither. Uh, I saw it when it came out. I was like, oh, you know, I'm a baseball fan. Yeah. I was like, okay, that's a cool movie. And I kind of forgot about it. And then I somehow it came up again and I watched mm. it. And then I just totally got obsessed with it. <laughs> and it's so well edited. And I think part of the reason I like it is if you watch it, and I was not aware of this when I was watching it the first time, but there's very minimal camera movement hmm. in the movie. And when there is, it's very noticeable. And I discovered, again, I, I got obsessed with it. So I started reading about it. And they, they said they kind of mirrored it after like 1970s investigative films like All the President's Men, which I never would have paired it with. But then right. when I saw that, I was like, oh, that makes total sense. Mm-hmm. And in those movies, the editing is so much more, um, I don't know, it, it it stands out to me more because I'm not looking at camera movement. I'm looking at when are we leaving shots and coming into them. And mm. it's, it stands out a little bit more to me, maybe not to the audience, yeah. um, to, you know, to editors and and it's just so well edited. It's so simple, but mm. it's just interesting choices and interesting sound choices in that yeah. movie. Yeah. It, it's like I put it on. It's like sometimes I'm not even watching it. It's right. just in the background yeah. and I just hear it. Yeah. But um, yeah, I can't explain yeah. that. <laughs> Do you find that when you watch movies that you can only pay attention to the editing? Like, is it harder to get sucked in now? No. Um Sometimes I'm in that mindset and I'm yeah. thinking about, oh, that's a, oh, I should pull that scene and show it in class. Right. But a lot of times I'm just watching stuff the same way I would have like as a teenager. Yeah. You know, I'm just watching it and enjoying yeah. the story. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know people, I, I've talked to people that can't do that anymore. Like all they can see is the cinematography, right. the yeah. mechanics of it. I guess I'm, I feel pretty lucky that I can still watch mm-hmm. it like I'm just going to the movies. Right. Thank you so much for sitting down and talking with me. I will link to your website in the description of this episode so people can like stay updated with uh, with what you're doing. And um, yeah, this has been a bunch of fun and I'm sure people will be able to benefit from this. And I look forward to 
taking more of your classes and seeing what you're working on next. Sounds good. Thank you, Wes. Thank you so much. Thank you.